Welcome in, everybody, for another episode of the Authority Podcast here on the B Podcast Network. So pleased to have you with us, and I'm really pleased to be joined by Scott Miller as my guest today. Scott has been a CEO and executive leader of a number of large global beverage companies. He began his career in the warehouse with Pepsi and learned the industry from the front line to the boardroom, and his reputation as an executive was built around a people-first approach to conducting business, and I'm sure that's something we'll talk a lot about today. His most recent accomplishment was leading the growth and acquisition of Essentia and selling them, in fact, to Nestle. And he is now the co-founder of a new beverage company called Yesly. The Summit Mindset is the name of the book. That's what we're talking about today. And we're going to talk about some of Scott's new endeavors and how he's learned this along the way and developed this mindset. Scott, welcome to The Authority. Well, it's great to be here today. It's an honor to spend some time with you. I really look forward to talking about business and life a bit. Yeah, and I kind of want to start, this This is not where we always start, but I know you put a lot of thought into this and in fact wrote about it in the intro to the book, which is why you wrote the book, right? What was the purpose behind it? What was your thinking? So let's touch on that. What, what was your process behind deciding to put all of this into the book form? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think through life, we all go through different journeys, right? And I think often we think life's a straight line. And quite frankly, for all of us, we know it's not a straight line and comes with a lot of adversity. So when I thought of the summit mindset, climbing a mountain. I'm a big runner. I love to run the backcountry and there's always adversity. The mountains are changing all the time. The clouds and the storms are rolling in. And that's really just about life as well. So I've got to the point in my life of operating businesses for a long time. I thought I'd like to put a pen to paper and talk about some of the learnings I've had along the journey. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I know that the mindset and there's a variety of things that it's comprised of, which we'll talk about. What about the objectives of it? When, when you're having folks kind of learn how to, to enact this mindset and put it into practice in their various organizations, you know, what are the goals in mind that you're hoping to achieve? I believe that folks in organizations, I think the Summit Minds is a book that's written for organizations and individuals. So a CEO can read this book and an individual can read this book. And I believe it's about creating consistent actions and behaviors in your life that allow you to be in pursuit of what's important individually and what is your North Star organizationally. I think many organizations don't have a North Star and I think individuals often don't have a North Star. And when we really become purposeful about what we're pursuit of, we can be more focused, more consistent and create great habits and behaviors. And so you've, of course, developed this over the course of your career and in a number of different roles. How did it eventually develop over time? Was it sort of something that you sat down and thought about and pieced together? Or did it just kind of happen organically over the course of your career? And then once you established it and gave it a name and decided what it was, how has that kind of influenced your life and career from there? Yeah, I believe that early on in my career, I always kind of whiteboarded things. I I modeled folks. I looked at folks that are doing great things. I tried to absorb the good, kick out the bad. And you're right. Through time in life, I've been an operating CEO for almost 20 years now. You get a lot of learnings along the journey. And I started to really develop what I call smart action, the summit mindset behavior that adversity happens in business and in life. And when you have strong fundamentals, you can start to withstand those things, come through them stronger, keep recalibrating teams and keep recalibrating individually. So it's through the test of time, quite frankly. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things that I don't know when, you know, if there was a certain point in time uh, when you started to consider that 
maybe perhaps you should distill your learnings into somewhat of a framework or of course, as you went from a company to another and you said being, having been a CEO for a couple of decades at a variety of companies, you probably reach a certain point where you at least would ask yourself, Hey, what have I learned here? I must know something, right? And I, I should be able to kind of teach it to the next you know, the next group coming up or the professionals that are wanting to achieve similar things in their, their careers, how, and my understanding of this is that it's not just a, it's not just a professional mindset. I mean, there's a cohesion and an integration between your personal objectives and values and how those apply in the business. Why kind of what, What's important about that distinction versus looking at this strictly as a workplace thing? Yeah, I really believe it is often in business, people's habits and behaviors are often the same in business as they are in life. And I do believe it's both, right? My business habits are very similar to my personal life. I believe in my personal pillars, my faith, my family, others in business. I'm always kind of toggling between those. Mm-hmm. One's doing well, one's not, and you make adjustments. And business need pillars as well. So I think this is a prescriptive book, The Summit Mindset, that can help folks in an organization and help folks individually. And that was really the goal, to create a hybrid book that gives learning both organizations and individuals. I know part of your objective, too, was to, to make it tangible and practical and, and you know, that that there's a variety of ways in which books around whether it's leadership or personal development, self-improvement, whatever the, the category is, are written. And there's a variety. Some of them are broader or maybe less tactical than others, right? And, and, and some are very tactical, but I know that was an intentional objective of yours as you wrote about this. What what kind of made you want to focus there in your thinking versus, of course, sometimes you could uh, reflect on your learnings without necessarily giving other people much that they could do with that. Agreed. I believe that the summit mindset is really a storytelling as well about facts that happen through business and life, whether that's when you look at what's happened to Kodak as a digital world came, they didn't pivot in time and personal stories in my own life where I've had adversity and I've shared those and share that vulnerability. So I believe it's about being pragmatic and very consistent driven. And often, as we say, communication is the easiest thing, but the hardest thing, right? Mm-hmm. So it's about trying to install habits in folks that are really, really pragmatic, but quite frankly, they're not easy because we have to create consistent behaviors on a regular basis and I believe business like life is an inside out job. We got to look inward. We got to make the adjustments. I like to say, I like to talk about what we stink at. We all know what we're good at, but when we can look inward, we can recalibrate, review the tape and get better. And I think that's what makes the greatest teams, the ability not to finger point, but to get better together. Yeah, I mean, it's so many times, right? The, the best advice is the simplest advice, but it's the thing that requires the most consistency and follow through and sustainability and making it simple maybe makes it uh, sustainable but at the same time if it's not then that simplicity doesn't work for you right and and I know we're going to talk a lot about that uh, I actually wanted to start with something that is 
think essentially the subtitle of the book it's also the first chapter it's winning the battle of you versus you and that's kind of that's that's the foundation for a lot of this goes after that but how did how did you determine why why did you want to start right there and what is that battle and and what makes it up well when i was a young man i lost my dad at a young age we grew up very humble really in poverty quite frankly and on my dad's deathbed, he turned to me and said, sorry. And I said, what are you sorry for? He said, sorry, I didn't try harder. And that really just seared through me. That moment seared through me that I wanted his weakness to become my strength. And that is the battle of you versus you, right? Mm-hmm. We have to be personally accountable and own that. And I believe be a continuous learner. So that really was an intersection in my life. And I believe we all have intersections in our lives where we can learn and grow. And that is the battle of you versus you. And I think We often spend time looking at what other people are doing, but it's really about our race. And it's really about what we want to do and what sets our soul on fire. And that's really the message to folks. Like if we focus on ourselves and have this mindset of continuous improvement, we will through time get better. And I think in my life, I've had a lot of adversity and those are all intersections to learn and improve. Yeah. And I think a big part of positioning yourself to win that battle even though it's um much of it is internal is also still related to who do you choose to surround yourself with right what what are the relationships you cultivate the groups you have this chinese proverb that is at the beginning of that chapter those who say it cannot be done should not interrupt those doing it and that's going to ring particularly true in anything that's a really challenging environment. We're going to have a lot of listeners here that are in leadership in schools, school district, right? That you're constantly trying to disrupt systemic patterns that have proven challenging over time and trying to increase achievement, trying to do things that, that are not new goals, but that have there's a reason why they continue to be challenges because they're hard. (laughs) And if you are going to either become a naysayer or allow yourself to be surrounded by folks who are going to question whether or not your objectives can be achieved and you really believe in the importance of those goals, you you don't want that to happen, right? So what's, what's the importance there of thinking about it as, you know, of course, a lot of times when a success story is written there's uh, there's a, a main character that seems to rise to the top and it, it seems like they did it on their own right but realistically we're all a product of our relationships and our communities and our networks no doubt i think that we're all part of a community none of us do it on our own and i think having the courage to have a vision often when nobody else does is really the starting point and then it is about planning that vision out, staying single focused on your vision, really believing in it and learning along that journey to your point with the community, with others around you. I mean, I didn't get to where I am in my life without numerous amount of people helping me and still today folks helping and being part of a community. And I think it's important to be vulnerable and know that if you're a learner, you're always looking for wisdom. You're always looking for help and you're always looking to keep continues have improvement. So That is the journey. And I think when an educator or a teacher or an entrepreneur decides to do something, they have to have that vision often that no one else does. And then they have to understand simplicity and executing that through consistency. Yeah. And that that vision, of course, will lead to um, the organizational North Star, right? Um, 
and so when an organization let's say an organization that hasn't necessarily gone through this process before says okay yes we we want to determine that north star that's what we're directed toward what does that process look like yeah again it comes back to whiteboarding right it's like who are you as an organization what is your culture what do you want to be what do you want to achieve is it giving back to your community your north star is it becoming number one is it creating more profitability is it you know, returning shareholder value. So first, I think it's centering yourself as an organization and identifying what you're going to do collectively as a group with your North Star. And we all know that we're best individually when we're in pursuit of something. And it's as simple as reading a book or gardening or taking a cooking class. And an organization is best when they're in pursuit of something. But it's the knowledge to say, we agree on this North Star. And now let's collectively get in pursuit of that. If not, organizations are usually adrift and so are individuals. Right. And that's, I mean, it, of course, choosing the right North Star, having the quote unquote right vision is critical, but it's that communication piece. I think that comes up so much of saying, okay, at every level of this organization, are we one, are clearly articulating what we're driving toward, why, what's the rationale and and allowing everybody at every level of the organization to understand that, to buy into it, to believe in it, to feel like they can actually contribute to it, right? And that's the piece that, again, is often missing. Maybe we've we've established this, we have our mission and vision and value, and it's on our website or something, right? But we never hear anybody talk about it. Or worse, we feel as though what the behaviors we're seeing are kind of antithetical to it, or there's a lot of gaps in communication that are leading me to maybe draw my own conclusions about things. And I think that's where you're, you're going to have the complete opposite effect. I've been in organizations like this where I, I, I think my initial response to having simplicity in some of these things, right? I, mean, I had one organization that wanted to, you know, establish, supposedly establish a culture around the the concepts from Simon Sinek's TED Talk about start with why, right? And I think my first response was something like, well, this is too simple. But I think the reason was because, you know what, what, what was actually happening was totally inconsistent with what the words that we're saying, or this is what we're going to do. But as soon as this meeting's done, you're never going to hear about this again. And that's really what it was. But what's, what's the, the benefit and the impact on, on your staff and, and your, your team and their empowerment to feel like they're really contributing in a meaningful way when there is that consistency and that definition of that North Star and that continued revisiting and adherence to it. I, I love the way you set that up because culture can never be a plaque on the wall. It's a living, breathing part of who the organization is. In order to make that effective, you have to live and talk about it every day. You know, we start in our small little company today with 20 folks talking about our culture. How mm -hmm. are we doing? We're a we culture, not a me culture. We want everyone to be a valuable voice. And we finish our week, we talk about it. Hey, where are our gaps? What are we doing really well? 
What do we need to do better? How is our communication? Are we living our core values? And that doesn't mean that everything's always right. You know, some days you're really good at things and other days you stink at it. But when you speak about it, what starts to happen is the organization believes what you have is living and breathing and true. And when it's a plaque on the wall, the organization calls BS on it. Like you did early on saying, we leave this meeting and it's over, right? No, we have to talk about it almost like how's the weather. And that's when a culture becomes authentic and people stop finger pointing. They're a valuable voice and we problem solve together. You know, Ross, when you think about business or life, it's really all about problem solving. Mm -hmm. Every day you wake up, there's something to solve and something to do in business and in life. When you start to make, cultivate that organization culturally, you're the best competitor in the marketplace. And other than that, it's just a plaque on the wall. So when we started yesterday, we had three folks and we started to build our pillars. We started to talk about it. As more people joined, we started to build our culture. We all talked about it. We all decided on it. It wasn't a top-down piece. We all lived it. Now, when we mm -hmm. interview folks, we ask, hey, does Russ fit our culture? You know, is he a we culture guy? And it, it allows us to have guardrails on the kind of folks we bring into the business that add value to the business. Yeah, what's kind of this, I guess, structure hierarchy when we talk about an organization North Star and then strategic pillars and values. How do those things all kind of fit together in, in a way that you would kind of see them mapped out? Yeah, I think one is an organization's culture and strategic pillars are the most important things. That's where everybody says, this is who we are. This is who we define ourselves by. Now let's hold ourselves accountable to that. You know, when we start our presentations, if we're talking to retailers or distributors, we go, let us tell you a little bit of how we show up every day. Here's our pillars. We're that bold with it putting out there and we want to know when we're not doing it well, right? And then you can kind of set your North Star. Okay, who do we want to be? What are we chasing? And then I believe those three components we just talked about, strategic pillars, culture, and North Star, becomes part of your town halls. How are we doing? What do we stink at? What do we got to get better at? When the organization knows you're speaking about it, you're living your truth. And that doesn't mean it's always right. And it's not about perfection. It's actually about progress. But you're creating habits and behaviors in the organization. You know, I share a lot of things I read. Maybe it's just a text with a one paragraph. I send out books sometimes. I know everyone's not going to read them. But what am I doing? I'm showing the behavior and the actions of who we are, that leaders all should be learners. And if we take that kind of approach, I believe we're much better competitors. You know, it's no longer that 1950 management where we pound on the desk, right? Mm -hmm. It's about empowering people. It's about inspiring people. And it's about living our pillars collectively together. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think such an important part of what you said there is that piece of continuously putting them out there clearly and transparently so that it can be called out when we're falling short, right? When we're not living up to them. And from the leadership perspective, wanting to hear that, right? Having an openness to that and wanting to, to mend it. If we think about these pillars as the pillars, right, of a building, right? And there's cracks in them. Like, we better find out about that and, and fix those cracks or else the whole thing comes tumbling down. But that's not always the case, right? Particularly, again, in, in an organization that, wants to have, I think, lofty sounding pillars and values, but then somebody says, well, I, I, what this thing we're doing, isn't that kind of inconsistent with these? And they're kind of told to shut up because it's not, that's the culture is about 
the way in which they are lived out right in the way in which they are central to what everybody is doing and thinking about and talking about and working toward it's not about it's all subjective as to what makes a good pillar and a good value right and and what's particular to that organization but the fact is that it needs to be active yeah and i think to your point ross when they're told to shut up it's about everybody has to have a valuable voice and that's part of our pillars look tell us anything you feel we may agree or disagree and that's fine And if we disagree we'll talk about why and the way we're going but everyone should feel they have a valuable voice and they're not penalized for their voice because ultimately we all spend a lot of time at work and you should be there to contribute and bring added value to the business and the culture. I love the word valuable voice. I want to hear from everyone. I've run businesses or manufacturing on site, uh, being abroad in international markets. I want to hear from everyone because again, if we all believe that we're learners and we're continuously improving, everyone's voice matters. And when we do not agree, it's really good because we learn from each other. And you also start to understand organizationally who fits into your organization. Do they want to be part of that? You know, not everybody has to play in the same locker room, but ultimately what we want to do is create a we culture. In order to do that, everyone's voice has to be valuable. Yeah, and and, and certainly something that applies, right, in the organizational level with a lot of organizations over time, there's changes in the leadership, the vision, and what might come after that. And one of the things I always say to clients when I work, I work with in performance coaching is like you reserve the right to change your mind in the future based on new evidence and inputs and experiences but that's an active process right it's to say like we always would set a goal of having two to three tops core values that you want to base your decision making around well that seems like too few to everybody because they are like well i have all these 10 things that i care about but it's not there can never be a conflict there has to that has to be clear enough that in every situation, it's obvious what is the what is aligned to that. And if you have things where it's like, well, it's kind of makes sense with this one, but not with this one, and you're you can never have clarity of decision making. Now you reserve the right in the future to say circumstances have changed. I know something different, and now this is what I'm focused on. But that needs to be and the same thing organizationally, where again, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you've been through this because you've you've been in leadership of companies that you were not the founder of, right? That if you come in, one, presumably you're coming in because you have a belief and buy-in in the values that that organization has put forth. But two, you may have some thoughts that are differently, but then that, again, that's going to be a dialogue and a process and a thought. And <laughs> instead of, okay, well, our CEO is just doing things that clearly are separate from organizational values we haven't changed the values have we I didn't, did i miss something or is this person just kind of doing what they want to do right but it doesn't it doesn't matter if you're the ceo or any other role there, i mean it, there needs to there can't be that 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 confusion between okay who's whose vision are we living out here right our organizational vision or this person's vision yeah, I fully agree. I, I agree with everything you're saying. I think you want the organization to have buy-in. You want them to be part of it. When you can put things out to a vote and talk about it, you want to be able to do that. You want to have town halls where their voice is heard. And then there's action taken on great ideas, right? I also think organizations should always be constructively dissatisfied. I love that term. It doesn't mean you're hard on yourself. 
but you always know there's room for improvement. There's another click, there's another calibration. And I think when you do that, you have a continuous improvement mindset and nothing's perfect, but when you're talking about it through communication, you're always in this mindset that we're constructively dissatisfied, but we're looking to advance the ball to what I always like to call smart action. Like, what are we doing that's really smart? And when we're not, let's stop. And to your earlier point, we have to have the ability to be able to pivot, to make change, right? Not to be overly rigid because we have to be pliable in business and life. And it's like that Rubik's cube, you keep turning it. And when you're too rigid, you often miss that. And when the ball goes out of bounds, let's put the ball back in play and learn from where we went out of bounds. And that's part where I think reviewing the tape, recalibrating is important. And really finally listen to what your organization tells you. Like no one has, it's it's about a we culture, not a me culture. So the more we are together, the more collective insight we get and we get better through time together as one team. Right. Yeah. And, and as you described, right, that pivot or that changing course is not a, it's not a, the same as a compromise. It's a, it's based on the fact that you are actively doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're learning more, you're becoming smarter, you're having new, sometimes circumstances change. The thing that served us really well at the initial stage of starting up this organization or or the challenges that we had before is no longer serving us and we need to and i don't so i don't know when that became <laughs> right the connotation of, of changing course on things became a negative i think it was probably because it was weaponized in political debates, right? That, oh, well, this person has some different ideas than they had 20 years ago. Well, good. That, that means they're continuing to learn, right? But it, it's there's a difference between saying, well, we just failed to live up to our values, so we're just going to change our values and saying this organization, when it was five people and now it's 5,000 people or the problems that we had in 2016, a lot of which we solved are totally different from 2023 and we need to reevaluate. That's part of growth and evolution and innovation to say we need to be up to date. Yeah. That is a summit mindset, right? It's that mm -hmm. adversity on the mountain, it's that adversity yep. in business and life that it's always changing. The ability to pivot the ability to make adjustments, but you're, when you have a strong foundation, your fundamentals, you feel really good about, you have to keep practicing like you play. You got to make adjustments. You got to listen to everyone around you. And I think that those are the greatest teams because they're always into continuous recalibration. What could have we done better? You know, in my life, both personally and professionally, my greatest learnings have never come in a winner's circle. They've always come through struggle. They've always come through reflection how to get better. And as I continue my journey in life, I know I'll have more struggles and I'll have more learning. So when you take that on, you are always in this mindset that there's more work to be done and there's good behaviors to continue to improve and there's no finish line. And that is a good mindset if you're teaching a class or you're running a company or for us individually, it's a no finish line mentality. Like who do we want to be as individuals? I'll share one thing with you, Ross. I've interviewed like yourself probably hundreds of people through my career, when I ask somebody, tell me a little about yourself, they say, well, I'm a hard worker, I'm a family guy, and I'm honest. Well, close your eyes, that could be anybody. Mm -hmm. But really, who are you? And that's the work individual we should all do. And that's also the work an organization do. Who are we? 
How do we keep pivoting? How do we keep growing? How do we never stop evolving? Right. And and that's part of that culture of learning and that there's an abrasive change. And I think the allowance for vulnerability, and that also hits on what you just said, right? There, there's the stock answers of, okay, I think these are probably the kind of things that they want to hear. Yeah. And it's a, it's a little bit personal, but not totally. But what would that culture look like to allow, I think, for that real people to bring themselves truly to it? to to not only bring themselves fully to an organization, right? So that the, the organization develops that uniqueness of the individuals that make it up. But also I think there's some, even in the, the learning part of that, right? Some consideration given to the valuable voice, as you said, to the parts of, okay, there's certain things organizationally or as a leader I have in mind that I want our folks to be learning and that's going to progress us forward. There's also things that individuals are interested in learning for their personal growth and, you know, trying to facilitate for all of those things to happen in a way that's everybody feels like they're moving forward as the organization moves forward, right? Agreed. Totally agreed with you. And it's a constant, and it's also one of those things that when you talk about it more, you talk about the growth, you talk about the learnings, you talk about the failures. That's vulnerability, right? And I think leaders need to be vulnerable. You know, when I wrote the Summit Mindset, some folks said, wow, I can't believe some of the stuff you shared about your dad and about your life. But I want to share those things because we're all on this journey. We all go through things. And I think when you share vulnerability, people also feel they can share and that's how we learn together. We don't learn by perfection. We learn by imperfection and progress. Right. Yeah. And then, and then there's trust that comes from that, right? It's the piece as particularly all those critical people in an organization at, at every level who, in order for them to be highly effective and for everybody that they're supervising to be highly effective really have to trust what's coming from the level above them. And anybody who's ever been, for example, in a position of supervising a team and believing that you're telling them the right things based on what you're being told and later on finding out that what you were told was incomplete or dishonest, right? And okay, now I've been made into a liar because of that. Everything's going to break down from that. And in either I'm not going to put my 100% self into this because I'm like, I need to stay above the fray or we're creating a culture whereby everybody's just totally looking out for themselves and or or is okay misleading. But that's... I think, I mean, something I've just noticed over time is that we really need to to minimize the definition of what is privileged and proprietary. Right? <laughs> that transparency, you know, a lot of organizations, I don't know what their definition of that is, but it's either sometimes creating the impression of transparency but being very selective and and maybe not totally forthright about it or or other times just kind of holding way too much information to well they don't really need to know about this and sometimes it's well maybe people do need to know because 
even if it's not directly related to what they're doing, it's part of their sense of confidence in the organization and its growth and its future. And sometimes it just the fact of telling somebody, we don't think you need to know this is another way of saying, well, you're not really important or valuable enough to know this information. <laughs> Even though nothing you could do with the information is going to hurt anything, just don't worry about it. Worry about your own thing. Yeah. And that's really what's created an organization that's full of silos, right? Mm -hmm. But when you create an organization that everyone feels they're a teammate, you talk about things. Of course, in any organization, there's some things you can't speak about. Maybe they're legal, things of that nature, HR driven. But culture, strategy, North Star, how we're driving our business forward, what we're doing wrong, what we could do better. Those are great open topics where people feel like, hey, I'm a valuable teammate because I'm giving feedback, I'm getting feedback. And we're not always talking about what we're doing right. Like I said earlier, organizations is an inside out job. I like speaking about what we stink at, how are we doing in supply chain? Are things going well or do we have a problem? How's marketing going? Are things doing well or do we have a problem? We all know what we're good at. Organizations don't like to talk about what they stink at and neither do individuals. But when you do that, you start to collectively review the tape together and you start to see the progress. And when there's a speed bump, we all understand it. We own it. We talk about it and we move forward. I think that is the greatest part. When people wake up, they go, I made a difference this week. I learned a couple of things. There was shared learnings and I'm happy to work here. Ultimately, that's what you want to create. People that feel they're inspired and empowered to work in an organization. And so these three, there's three C's here. These are completely separate topics in the book. I grouped them together for alliteration purposes. And so we could talk about them, but it's caring for others, communication, and courage. My curiosity there's another C, about these is they seem like, I mean, communication, we've talked about that, I think a lot already, caring for others and courage. Um, areas whereby... I think a lot of organizations would likely be falling short. If they're not having the success that they want to have, it's because some of these things might be missing. They might not have ever been defined as priorities at all. But I'm wondering, as you've developed, as, as you've compiled these into part of your summit mindset, what's your evaluation of the, the status quo with respect to them and, and how commonly they either are or aren't? part of, of leadership objectives and, and why they should be? Great question. Love the question. I think that in my personal pillars, others is one of my pillars. So I also, as I talked earlier, in my personal life, my business life, things aren't much different. I believe in servant leadership. And that means that others are really important. That's where culture is really important. Communication is really important. I would say that in any organization that I've run, whether it's five people or 500 people or a thousand people, 40% of my time is spent on others. Whether it's having an individual conversation with you about your business or what, what you like personally. I wanna know you personally, I wanna know Ross, right? Do you like to go hiking? What do you like to do? And building a culture, that's a lot of time. An organization is made of people and people matter. People first matter. A we culture is about caring. And the other part of my time is sustainable profitability, how you do that. And then it's really how you continue to evolve the culture. So I believe in others. I try to live others every day. Sometimes I stink at it. Sometimes I'm great at it. But it's always in the forefront of what I do. It's in the forefront of what I do organizationally. And it's the forefront of what I do in my personal life, whether it's as simple as holding the door open for somebody, going to the coffee shop and saying good morning, or whether it's helping somebody I don't know on the street. 
I don't think it has to be big. I think it just has to be meaningful of who you are. I don't think an organization has to be big. You know, often people think it has to be grandiose. Others is just simple day-to-day -day being a good neighbor and good being a good teammate. Now let's talk a little bit about courage. I think that courage is super important in our lives and in our business lives. And I think that often folks don't have enough courage and I never worry about failure. I only worry about not attempting. There's no failure if you attempt things. There's only failure in lack of attempt. And that's why I challenge everyone in business and life to have courage. You know, Ross, often we get conformed to what society tells us what we should be, the way we were raised and, you know, what we think people think of us. But it's about your personal courage for your journey. And that's what the Summit Mindset's about. It's about what sets your soul on fire? What are you in pursuit of? What is an organization in pursuit of? And I think people often, again, think of courage. Hey, it's got to be big and bold and loud. No, courage can be quiet. Courage can be simple. But we have to tap into what our courage is and what matters to us. And I think when you start with, there's never failure in attempt. There's only failure in lack of attempt. That's a good starting point for courage. Yeah, and one thing that, that to me sort of ties these together is they're going to be the 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 approach to to the combination right and i, I and you can also speak to uh with respect to right product product development to to the attempts what is your mindset toward data and the types of data that are useful and usable but a big part to me is saying okay well one, particularly in a large organization where there's a lot of people there, if, if you're leveraging all of your talent and all of your people, there's not much of an excuse for just a total out and out <laughs> failure that, that doesn't meet any needs because we have a lot of people here to pull from. And think, if we're taking this caring for others or the, the empathy piece, what are things that people actually want and need and would help them and would improve their lives? What, what are they interested in? And that's how we can avoid maybe those totally avoidable failures. One person decided this was a good idea and we just did it. And yeah, obviously nobody wants this thing, right? Um, versus the courage of your conviction to say, look, we've done the appropriate legwork here, right? We have one, again, we we ensured that our next step was aligned to our organizational values. Like this is the kind of thing we should be doing. This is what we stand for. That's consistent with there. We talked to our people. We got various ideas. We stress tested. We made sure that that what we were doing was actually, you know, aligned to people's needs and, and things people are interested in. And some things succeed, some things fail. But if it doesn't work out okay, we could figure out why not because it's going to become obvious to us versus we just did it on a whim and went and with, with no reasoning at all, which <laughs> that's the type of failure we always want to stay away from. <laughs> but what are the, when you think, I mean, there's qualitative, quantitative, all these various data sources that would contribute to, okay, we're going to try this thing. And it doesn't always mean it works, but it means, okay, we have some, some logic behind our attempt. Yeah, I think as we spoke earlier, that's why I think smart action is so important. Mm -hmm. right? Often we look at things that are emotional, but the facts really often prove out 
where we should go. But then there's that entrepreneurial mindset with that leadership mindset where there's a vision for something, there's white space that someone might not have thought of. That's mm-hmm. really important. I also think it's important to have town hall meetings so you can get feedback from folks, so you can hear different viewpoints, so you don't get immune to thinking your viewpoint's the only right one. And that's that leader's mindset. That's that learning mindset to talk to the organization because people have so many great ideas. And when an organization feels like it's very cultivating where you can talk and give feedback, you learn so much from folks. So I love listening to folks because it's really, really where knowledge is found. Knowledge is knowing, right? And then I love looking at what the facts are. And then there's the creative side of where's our white space opportunity. And then the final piece is to have the courage not to be afraid to fail. That's really, really important. And to be bold in that, I know there's only failure and lack of attempt. I believe that in my personal life and in my business life. I think that I fail all the time and that's okay because I'm learning something. And if I'm closing the gaps on those failures and I'm being more consistent, I know I'm still gonna fail but every intersection I'm trying to learn what I could do better, even in adversity, if something happens, I always say to myself, what's the learning there? How did I react? Even if there's an accident in life or a car accident, did I learn something from I'm always asking myself, what's the learning? And even if you can't control all those things, that's what makes us always on this journey to get better and not, and have courage to fail. Yeah. Yeah, it's it would seem that this is not all the time, of course, but so often that you know, fear of failure is is not. It's fear of criticism, of course, yes. and it's and and the criticism related to likely not having done the right things for the right reason. Right, if we're pursuing something that either is our truly held goal, or right. that we know that there's a process for that we made a decision based on a reason and this is why we're trying this and it doesn't work out i'm not so afraid of that <laughs> but typically it's okay I'm, I'm afraid to try things because i'm not really thinking about the reasons for them or the values or it's it's about if we can only control our decision making right we can't control the outcomes of pretty much anything. Everything has has contributing factors that come from outside sources, <laughs> but we can only control the reason why we gave that a shot. And then what we do to try again and try again. But ultimately, if you're too focused on how it's going to turn out, then we would probably never try anything. The Summit Mindset's a great example. It's my first book. I wrote it with James Seymour, a New York Times bestselling author we met. I talked about my vision for it. And we went after it together. Whether it works or not doesn't matter. It's the progress of trying something new. It's a progress of attempt. Mm-hmm. It's a progress to have a great conversation with you. This is meaningful to me. This sets my soul on fire to talk about business and life. But it's stepping out of your comfort zone and doing something differently. And I encourage all of us to do that because I think that's when we feel the most stimulated and we'll fail along that journey, but through time, we'll keep getting better at it and we'll grow our confidence. We do that organizationally. We do that individually. And when we look for facts and what I call smart action, we usually start to close gaps through time. Mm -hmm. And that's a great place to be. 
Yeah. And so it's got your latest uh, venture here is Yesley Water. And I'm sure, I mean, I, <laughs> there's myriad, <laughs> but you know, anything come to mind, an example you want to call out, maybe even from this week of how you are implementing the summit mindset philosophies in, in what you're working on right now. Yeah, I mean, Yesley Water is an enhanced still water beverage in a 16-ounce aluminum can. It's a real white space opportunity in the market. It's a first product of its kind. It has vitamin C, B12, B6, uh, electrolytes, and zero calories. You know, this week we're working on rolling out 7-Elevens in New York City. We just got authorized in 7-Eleven. So that's a journey of doing the reps every day. We're in about 280 today out of about 400. And there's a lot of labor there, a lot of manual work to get it done. And then we evaluate, how are we doing? Are we getting reorders? Does a consumer understand our product? We have an Instagram, yeslywater.com, where we talk about make your mark, say yes to what's next. We want Yesly to be a very positive affirmation about whatever someone wants to individually do in life, whether that's join their lacrosse team or join a reading club or take their first horseback riding lesson, say yes to what's next. We want to invite everyone into the brand. And ultimately, we want to conserve, sell, sell to every consumer with a mouth. Now, certainly that's not always possible, but we want everyone to know that, yes, it can make a difference. And then we say to ourselves every week, how are we doing? Where, what do we have to focus more on? And I like to focus on facts because they're not emotional and it's not our own ego talking. And we can make adjustment off facts. I really, really think that's super important because in life, when we all get emotionally charged, either individually or organizationally, we're usually going to the red zone and we don't make good decisions. But if we just step back and look at the data, the facts, and then we say, what can we fundamentally do better? Yeah. I mean, those are important things and and to understand, yeah, I think the process of not taking things personally in whatever we're doing. And I think every one of our listeners is engaged in a high effort high really a high emotion profession uh, as far as understanding the the vision and purpose and value of that work and it can be hard right, to disaggregate again the things that are in our control versus what's out of our control um, the our actions to try to do the best job by the people that we serve from the times when it doesn't work for whatever reason, right? And to be able to step back and say, okay, let's just look at what happened right, and adjust. And, and it's not a, if we lived by our values and we did what we believed and we gave our, it's not a, it's not a character flaw to have made a mistake or to have not um, gotten it totally right the first time right it's just it's part of the process um you know and, and it's it's the same really in, in any can be in any organization if you when you're fully invested in that that vision and purpose and those goals right you have a, of course a lot of emotional investment in that but that's that's a separate piece from the fact that there's ups and downs and everything and there's there's things that don't work and there's other people involved and everybody needs to to have their role in that and we can't possibly all know everything and how it's all going to go yeah i agree with you totally ross i think it's about trying to do our best work all the time evaluating our work and even when we do our best work there's learning so there's when we have great meetings i always say okay what could we done better 
that's that constructively dissatisfied because you're always trying to learn and get better. But it's never to me about perfection. I think perfection is super boring. I think it's about progress. And if we're on that road to progress and we're doing our best work, to your point, that's what we can control, right? And then we just say, what do we learn? How do we get better? That's the journey of life. That's the summit mindset. Things are always changing. But good fundamentals really allow us to start to be more purposeful in our business career and in our personal life. So as we're closing here, I want to, I, there's one emotion I want to touch on. I think if we're prioritizing this, it, it helps us to navigate a lot of the other ups and downs that we talked about. And that is planning for and prioritizing happiness and the real, the business case, such as it is for having happiness for staff be an emphasis. Yeah, I love this topic. I'm glad you brought it up. It's a great way to close because I think happiness is an emotion that's not a steady state, right? And happiness in our culture often says, hey, do you have a big house? Do you have a big career? Do you have a big title? But what is happiness? And I think what happens to folks often along the journey, whether they're young, at the middle of their life, at the end, they actually can't even define what happiness means to them. Let's talk about it individually first. Happiness to me is having this conversation with you about business and life. Like, this gets me jazzed. I love this. Happiness to somebody else might be gardening, might be taking a hike. So the first question is, how do people define happiness? Is it just materialistic or is it something that stimulates you in your life? I think that's important. I think organizationally, it's really, is your culture evolving? Is it living? Is it breathing? Do folks enjoy coming to work? Are they empowered to make a difference? Are they a valuable voice? And do they, do they say to you without being asked, I really love the work we're doing. I'm proud to be part of this culture. I'm proud to be contributing to it. I like where we're going. That's what happiness is. It's not a steady state, but it's defining what it means to you individually first. And you know, Ross, interesting, when you ask a lot of folks to define what happiness is, often they, they're kind of puzzled by that word, mm -hmm. puzzled by it. So I encourage folks to understand what gets them up in the morning and what sets their soul on fire. To me, it's being out on a run in nature talking to you, talking about business and life and being a servant leader. Yeah, it's it's an important one because I just think it speaks to the importance of that asset-based approach to, it's, it's very different from, I think, what a lot of organizations find themselves in the position of, which is, how do we make sure our people aren't unhappy? Right? <laughs> like, how do we keep them from leaving? How do we kind of keep them content? And, you know, not to say that for a lot of people, happiness and contentment don't kind of go hand in hand, right? But it's about having an aspirational view on really an objective toward another word that has come up in some previous conversations here on, on the show. And we've talked about like, when have you ever heard somebody make this is joy, right? And we talk about words like engagement and, and things like that. But it's like, well, if we really were striving for moments of joy and joyfulness and happiness, and again, at every level of our organization and understanding that it's a trickle down, yeah. you know, in, in schools, we've often talked about the challenge. Okay. Well, we're trying to have our students experience all these things. If we're not ensuring our teachers are feeling joy in their work and happiness, how can we expect that they're able to pass that on? You know, you, that people are responding to what's in front of them. 
same with other organizations. If it's not from this level of leadership to the next and on down, we're not, you know, once you get to whoever, right? And particularly we're, we're talking about uh, large organizations that have people that are in the building, out of the building remote. You have, I'm sure people going and interacting in stores, talking to customers, all of that, who aren't, have, they're not having any direct relationship to to the people in, in, in the corner suites necessarily, but all those values need to get to them and they need to, to have that feeling of that happiness and that real fulfillment in what they're doing. And that's going to contribute to their interactions in a customer service realm, or it's not. Yeah. yeah. I, I like the word you just said, value. And I think organizationally, when individuals feel valued and they're adding value, I think that really is a sense of happiness. I think people individually feel good about themselves when they feel they're adding value to their lives, whatever that may mean to them, right? And it's different to all of us. But that's why I think this importance of there's no failure in attempt individually is so, so important because it makes us fail better that we're moving forward. So it's different to all of us individually and organizationally, but I love the word you said, value, and valued and feeling valuable, I think is a very, very, very big component of it. Excellent. So Scott, we'll have the website below, .com. Is there anything else that you would like listeners to check out and, and learn more about? Yeah, they can also find me on my personal Instagram, Scott Miller U versus you. And so I look forward to chatting with folks and hopefully everybody stays in pursuit. Ross, I, I've really enjoyed this conversation with you today. Some great questions, some great dialogue about business and, and about people. That's what the Summit Mindset's about. Excellent. So yeah, listeners, we'll put those links below. Check out the social media, check out the book. You can find it all here. You can learn more about Scott there too. Please do also subscribe to The Authority for more author interviews like this one. We have a lot more coming up the rest of the year here. You won't want to miss it. Also do visit thepodcast.network to learn about all of our 30 plus shows on the network. Scott Miller, thanks so much for being on The Authority. It's a real honor, Ross. Thank you. This has been the Authority Podcast, hosted by Ross Romano, edited by Gage Sanderson.